Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 welcome to tonight's show. It's great to be here. I hope you guys are recovered from Christmas, all the good food and all that stuff. I, I hope everybody had a great holiday. I want to welcome everybody tonight. My name is Charlotte, and I'll be your host for the next hour. We've got a great guest lined up. You can find the, uh, I'm, I'm also the owner and operator of the California Hots Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. You can find us at www.californiahaunts.org, or if you're more interested in what the radio this show has to offer, you can find this show at www.californiahauntsradio.com. And if you go over there, you'll be able to see all our shows back for the last year that we've done. And uh, I'll be updating that also with all of the shows that we have previously done on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, I, I have some sad news. Uh, the dog that was laboring all last week and you know, week and a half has, has passed away. So that happened to me this morning. Um, she went quietly, and uh, that's what I wanted. But it's been kind of a bummer day for me. But uh, I just want to share a dedication to her first. So let me go ahead and do that before we get the show started. Anyway, so uh, as I sit here, I've got some updates for you guys, too, on stuff. Um we are going to be doing some psychic development classes this month. We're going to be doing a um, basic psychic development class where you guys can just get your feel to see if you might have any uh, abilities or anything like that or how to build abilities that you already have and start expanding. I mean, to be truthful, everybody's born with psychic abilities. We just kind of, they kind of go in the rear view mirror as, as we get older. And sometimes you need to take a class or two to see if you can bring them back out. And that's what the first psychic development class is about. And uh, so that's the psychic development class one I'll be advertising at uh, California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team Meetup. Um, and here on StreamYard as well for that. And Facebook. Okay. And we're also going to teach an advanced psychic development class this, this month as well. Those are for people that have taken the first class and um, would like to learn more about their abilities. Okay. Uh, I'll add some more stuff at the end of the show, but uh, right now our guest is in the green room as he prepares. I see him sitting there. So let me go ahead and call Jared. In. Oh, Jared gets settled. Wait for a wave. Wait for a wave. See when he gets settled in. I got a wave. I got the th I got the thumbs up. Here we go. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. It looks like I have to move my camera. I am going to move it. Let him get adjusted, guys. Let's see. It's all about getting adjusted. All right, Being all in right. the right spot. Maybe that's... No, we'll go that way. I don't know. This uh, I'm. It's so weird. StreamYard's doing something different. I was just on Zoom this morning, so apparently this is treating me differently. But, uh, <laughs> it always does. That's, <laughs> it's hard to go back and forth. Yeah, it's, it's weird where the angles have gone. Um, I guess I'll go... Eh? Yeah, I see you good. I see you fine. All right. Well, I like your Christmas festive background. Thank you. Way better than my normal background. We try to be festive here. We try to swing uh, with the holidays. 
I just feel don't like... expect just don't expect Cupid or anything weird during you know Valentine's. Uh you've just given me an idea for your costume. There we go. Oh, that'd be great. I look great in a diaper. Oh, uh, yeah. Have have you seen Love's Cupid? Uh it was on uh college humor like a decade ago. Uh they got this guy dressed up as Cupid and he's shooting arrows off a hill, and then it's got this lovey-dovey music, and then it pans to in the town where everyone's literally getting hit and knocked over by the arrows. It's hilarious. It's on That's college funny. humor. I'll send you the link to that. that. Yeah, send me the link to that. That's funny. (laughs) So tell Um, people about you for the people that haven't seen you before, because we do have a lot of, you know, some new subscribers and stuff. So yeah, I'm super excited. Your channel's growing faster than you can shake a point and stick. Yes. That's great Uh, stuff. So I am Jared Murphy. I have a site called notaliens.com, And uh, it's based off of a book that I wrote called it's not aliens worse. It's us discovering our lost history. And what the topic of, uh, and it's been a lifelong research, is that it's going to be ancient megalithic history, advanced human societies that fell, one or many. And a lot of the remnants that we're looking at now are from a once global society that does include possible survivors that we now frequently misidentify probably as alien, when more likely... Uh, there are so many indicators that we were once way more advanced than we are now. And so through podcasts, through uh, guesting on great shows like yours and uh, a lot of other shows, I just did leak conferences, uh, leak oh. projects, online conference two weeks ago. That's out. I just, that's virtual. That's for everyone. It's on uh, YouTube. I just put out a documentary on not aliens on YouTube that just got published a month ago. That kind of will book in for no matter where we go in this conversation today, for those of cool. you that are new. Uh, you cool. can you should go check out my new documentary on um, on YouTube on Not Aliens. That's cool. So tell me now because we've had this conversation before, obviously. But tell <laughs> me, um, tell me why you think that aliens didn't help the ancients build their stuff. Well, so the the short answer is that we have so many indicators. It's kind of like you, you would if we literally only if we found. Every generation of cell phone, and for those of you that can tell, at least by my age, that yes, I remember the Motorola flip phone, and I remember as a kid seeing people with those stupid brick phones. Um, But if we found all those cell phones uh, between Greece, uh, North Africa, Egypt, the Western hemispheres, and South Americas, only if we were doing this chronologically in the way we look at treat history, if we only found the Motorola flip phone recently, in Guatemala, we basically would have to look at all that technology and say the same thing and say, well, aliens made it. And that's basically the equivalent of the societies that we've, we have these dynastic cultures. So somewhere either pre-biblical flood 12,000 years ago, 13,000 years ago, pre-Mount Toba 75,000 years ago, there was a global society that was engineering uh, ancient advanced soils. So they weren't just terraforming, they weren't just farming they were creating ancient advanced biochars that could filter heavy metals and filter their carbon content out of the atmosphere. They were using piezoelectric properties within the soils and they were building buildings that could negate earthquakes. And so when we look at each one of these structures through Victorian eyes, it's been very easy for us in our last, you know, if we look at where we've been in a hundred years from not even, you know, horse and buggy to using the technology we're on, it was easy to jump to aliens because 
if anything, it's a very primitive mindset. It's a primitive mindset that we look at it and went, well, look at our cell phones. We're the most advanced we've ever been. Yet we have genetic abilities like uh, superhumans on earth that we do documentaries about like Wim Hof and Steve Severinsen and, um, you know, controlling your autonomic nervous systems and your inflammatory response and your, uh, your heating, your cooling, your this, there's people who believe in paranormal and the idea of mind control. And of course, remote viewing is a real thing. Second sight. We have all these examples and abilities where we're always like, well, that's an amazing thing. That's an amazing thing. And then collectively we say, well, we've only been around, like we're only 10 to 15% conscious, mm -hmm. but at what point were we 100% conscious? And when we look at the technologies that are left in the ground and we find them on every continent, polygonal construction, cy uh, cy so cymatic construction that helps with earthquakes, we find ancient engineered soil, the same engineered soil, that ancient engineered soil that's found in Brazil is found in the savannas of South Africa. It's found in North Africa. It's found in Central America. There are other types of engineered soils that are found. And yet we find uh, keystone cuts and stone spheres and these polygonal constructions all over the world. And we continue to, we're kind of, I think at the end of the thread of, having to justify that, look, we got our history wrong. There is no prehistory. There's always history. And mm -hmm. it's harder to put together history that we don't have a written text for. So what a lot of people get trapped in and have been for last for quite a while, and justifiably so, it's just easier to look at, well, I read this Sumerian text, and I mm -hmm. read this uh, Eastern, uh, I read this Hindu Veda, I've read the Sanskrit, I've read you know, I've seen, well, we have megalithic ruins in Japan. We have megalithic ruins in South America. And it's only because of LIDAR scans, advances in nuclear DNA testing, nuclear uh, sedimentary testing, that we are finally at the precipice of a revolution that we can stop telling each ourselves the stories because we have slivers of truths in all these different cultures and religions where, yeah, the idea of reincarnation is nice, but don't you find it odd that we know on a mainstream level that we have this magnetic aurora around us, that we have a collective human consciousness that at the quantum level, we know that it exists. And yet we don't equate it to all the other ancient finds, the uh, weird cuts in our genes. There's a lot of things that when you table all the facts, it very much shows that it's very reasonable to have all these generations of cell phones all over the planet because it, it, it's not that someone just random showed up and went, Look at the little buggers. They're uh, well. They're skinning a lot of deer, but let's show them how to move one thousand ton stones mm -hmm. in the middle. And that 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 that's ridiculous. And then, of course, one of the adamant things that people start jumping up and down about out there is, well, they don't look like us. Well, have you heard of gene crispers? Have you heard of custom designer babies? We are just starting to do three D bioprinting, three D medical bioprinting. We're just starting to understand that now in an ancient advanced society. I think our genetics and our genes are very, very far away from what we would consider evolution. I think a long, mm -hmm. long time ago, yeah, we had people that were very capable of manipulating their bodies to function towards a task. So whether you say you've seen an alien, mm -hmm. uh, there is a more a greater likelihood that you're looking at a human being that if they're going to do a zero point turn in a 20, a Mach 25 uh, anti-gravity spacecraft, that maybe being shorter, maybe being translucent, maybe having quicker onboard frequency energy communication with a body and a mind, 
that we already do with F-22 fighters and assorted other military uh, objects. I mean, there's already mind control at our level, but at their level, tripping out a human body to be what it needs to be in reference to its external external machinery. Uh, The reality is this place has been home and this is where we can fast forward and say, okay, uh, for last point on this is, I mean, just wherever globally we're going to go for people catching up is, yeah, if you don't just look in the Western hemisphere where we are, if you look to the East, uh, there's 65 million years of history in the Hindu Vedas, 65 million years. And then you're like, well, that's a long history. Yeah. Well, and then you have the Sumerian and there's a King's list and then there's an, a King's list in Egypt and all of them go back tens and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. But then we have great researchers like Michael Cremo and actual paleoanthropological records that show anatomically correct humans showing up in the fossil record that you can ignore it if you're mainstream academia, but those finds are documented and they're there. And the oldest objects on earth found that look man-made, or at least by someone, are the Klerksdorp spheres, which are two and a half to three and a half billion years old. There's no going around it. There's thousands of them. We haven't even found all of them. They're fu- they have layers. They have concentric rings on them. They look like old croquet balls, but I guess you wouldn't look that good after a couple billion years either. But they survived because they were hardened into what was once a sandstone. But we have a very mysterious planet. And to chalk it up to aliens is not that it's not that there aren't intergalactic travelers or right. already left. But here we go. You know, it's just it's very easy to get lazy and say, well, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how to build a polygonal wall. It must have been aliens. And it's like, really? Is that the 10 or 15% of your brain thinking? You, you hamster. You know, it's like, you know, spin the wheels a little faster. It's use three people and decide, is it, is it aliens or is it that you just don't remember how to build that technology, but every now and then there's a flash, every now and then there's a flashback, every Mm -hmm. now and then there's a recall, a download. People experience this uh, broken. I I always say that we're in a giant computer uh, that's in safe mode. So Mm -hmm. was that like the best? short catch-up for everyone. That was a great catch-up. That was a great catch-up. Now, my question to you is that if the aliens didn't help us build this stuff, how did, how were we able to move those big, those big old stones and stuff? So this is, this is a great question because the first thing we look at, so I've been doing a historical remodeling for 20 years and it's funny because my idea of an old building is 1867, you know, uh, which is old. But uh-huh. n- nothing compared to, you know, we, we're looking at buildings that predate dynastic work, right? So we're not, we're not talking that they were built in w- d- any dynastic peoples, uh, just for everyone listening. So Olmecs, Toltecs, Aztecs, Mayans, Egyptians, uh, anything East. Uh, but the people who actually built megalithic Japan, megalithic Russia, megalithic, uh, fill in the blank, Malta, uh, Sardinia, Egypt, all over the world, and more importantly, underwater, uh, these constructions, not only did they have to build them, but if we fast forward it into polygonal construction, the sides of these constructions represent the very frequencies and energies that hit that building. Just from a catastrophic standpoint, we're dumb enough to get, okay, well, we figured out that these walls move with earthquakes. So not only were they cutting 800, 700 ton, um, blocks and and here's the thing you have to core sample there has to be some destructive testing and Mm -hmm. building material sampling which 
they're being, I believe, more courageous in doing in other countries than are here. And I, I think that's making a lot of standard academics nervous because they're actually going to have to dust off their tables and do some new research and not grade off a of 40-year-old info because they're just not wanting to change. The reality is, is that to build a construction like that, someone had to take a device. So one, there's what's the machinery they use to move things with impunity? How did they choose to cut the shapes they did? Because someone right. had someone had to measure uh, somewhere so many hundreds of miles down in the planet and so many hundreds of miles over that there's some plate or tectonic shifting that when that earthquake goes off, this building over here is going to be affected. So not only is it, it's a two-folded question. One is, what is the building material they used, which we mm -hmm. don't know because we have to do destructive testing. We have to do core sampling, just like was found about the SARS and stones that were published just recently about the Stonehenge, that it's mostly silicrete and like 97.9 or 99.7% silicrete, which uh, that's a very interesting type of material. And also then what is the foundational structure of these buildings? So the material, what it is, using machinery, what we think of when we see these giant um, polygonal constructions is that, well, we don't think that just like our homes, we have uh, plaster, we have sheetrock, mm -hmm. we, we have plastic, we have mm -hmm. roof shingles. And we're looking at these buildings going, they, they could measure frequencies and energies and not, you can't slide a piece of paper between them. But clearly we never ever verbalize Oh, thanks. That, that is the current cover of the last edition of my book. Um, okay. The new edition, by the way, I, I'll keep talking on this, but the new edition is coming out in the next, uh, just, I, I, you're the first person I'm actually saying this to uh, outside of a private conversation with a good friend tonight. Uh, within the next six, seven weeks, there will be a new edition out. Cool. Um, uh, so there will be an updated edition. Uh, in fact, there will even be a color option if you would like to buy it. And uh, there is, that's a good thing. Cause there's 336 pages and there's a lot of photography and it's really hard to figure out synesthesia if you can't see the pictures in color. So, uh, but what I'm talking on is the machines that were to not only move the blocks or cut the blocks, mm -hmm. but, it, but it's, are they natural stones? Are they actually composite geopolymers, which Dr. Joseph David Ovid, David Ovivitz, the, uh, father of geopolymers, this is someone that is responsible for testing in Tiwanaku and not only creating geopolymers, but the identification of these blocks is not just being natural stone and the finished materials that would have been on these stones is what's missing. You can't do laser cutted, and not that they're using lasers, but I'm right. just saying that whatever they're using to make these incredibly complex frequency, energy deflecting and or absorbing and or using silicretes to reverberate or manage frequencies and energies, they're also going to be able to cut wood and they're going to have finished materials that have turned to dust and something that has been on the horizon and been available to scientists for 10 years, excuse me, to prove this out is the, is the uh, DNA sedimentary testing that's now available. And that means that you can take literally a molecule, uh, barely just dust, and you can identify animals, plants, flora, fauna, and you're going to be able to identify what in the dust itself, what, what, what may have been the finished layers of these constructions. And what we're looking at 
is, yeah, so what we're looking at of these buildings like Saxe Waman or Ollante Tambo, you're looking at what is really the lowest layers at like mm -hmm. Saxe Waman. You're not looking at uh, a building or a construction that is actually, uh, well, finished. You're, 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 you don't build up. And then, you know, the problem is every natural history museum has either you're sitting around the fire banging rocks or apparently you're building really complex constructions, either a thousand miles from the quarry or 75 miles and 13,000 feet over across treacherous mountain terrain. And then you don't apparently know how to work with wood and you don't build anything above those foundational walls. And mm -hmm. it's just whole logs. That's my favorite natural history museum cartoon is they build these very complex buildings and then they're always finished with Un, like undebarked trees and thatched mm -hmm. roofs. It looks like Gilligan's Island from the top up, you know? And, and, and so th this is the, 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 like this, there's not even a yin and a yang here. It's so d disparagingly anyone who I engineers buildings does architecture, does design, does interior design. No one could look at these buildings and go, yeah, those people built that. It, 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 it it's, it's just, it's absurd. You're literally staring at something as complex as a cell phone or a 747. And you're saying, you know, that, well, it's one, not a 747. And, you know, you, you, you start out building a car out of metal and you finish it with, you know, sticks. It just, is just not how you build. And so we're not seeing what was once those highest levels Were they 10 story buildings, Were they 20 story buildings, Were they using, if they could cut, literally 1000 ton megalithic blocks and move them. We have a few cranes on earth and this is something that actually doesn't get described to people enough. Um, so when we say there are cranes on earth that could lift this particular, like, like at Baalbek, Lebanon, there are oh. 1000, 1200 ton stones that again, these were shaped. They were meant to go in certain spaces and mind you, they have to be set on a very complex, something that I'm looking into doing research on, on site. I'm hoping to be my, it's been a year in the planning, mm -hmm. uh, but core sampling, like with, in my documentary, uh, something that no one's been doing is to figure out how were they compacting? What kind of materials were they using to create a level structure? Not only that, but one that integrates into these engineered soils around the complex and around the buildings. How were they, how were they filling in the soil to do that? But the cranes that are lifting these blocks are actually cranes that currently mostly lift ships or things out of ships. That makes sense. So we're talking about a crane that really looks like a giant U and then there's cables hanging down uh -huh. and then they get, they get strapped. So they're lifting well over uh, these stones weights, but there's only a few of them and they're literally set over canals. Oh. I mean, they're, they're set over large waterways. Those are the only cranes on earth that we have that are, would be able to lift them. And so then what they lift them up. They set them down. Um, the people that were working in ancient antiquity were working on a scale and with systems that were allowing them to cut, shape, and move these large, large finished um, objects. And again, we're only talking about the stones because those are what's right. left. So it, what about what about metal? What about wood? We have like, there's a, there's a pillar of um, 
um, doll, uh, oh gosh, there's an Indian pillar that's pure iron that has never rusted and we've never been able to duplicate it. It's just a uh -huh. pillar in India that, um, uh, I keep wanting to say Delphi. Sorry, everybody. I'm sometimes I get my wires crossed, but the, uh, this pillar it's purity level there, there, there are random metal objects that have, I think survived thousands of years beyond their original production. Uh, but for the most part, we have the stones that are left. And when we look at those structures, I think it's important for everyone to get their heads around that. If you were that more advanced society, imagine what they would look like with a lot. I know at least here in the twin cities, we have a lot of new construction. So when you're in your cities or you're seeing apartment buildings go up, what should fascinate you is the majority of them have concrete underground parking and they have maybe the first floor where the commercial is concrete. Mm -hmm. And then what's incredible is they're building five, eight, 10 stories of nothing but wood construction. So what would Sakse Waman look like if it was still uh, 10 stories of wood, but what would also disappear the fastest and be burnt and molded and taken for after a flood or after cataclysm, what, what would be left to use for a surviving society and or thousands of years of abandonment? Um, it doesn't take that long for even a castle. Uh, there's modern castle constructions. There's some great uh, shows on YouTube where you can see you know, interiors of whole buildings that rot and depending on the weather and the seaside, you could basically lose the entire interior in less than 50 or 60 years, let alone a thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand. Right. It fascinates me when, when, when you talk about these cranes, how large they had to be in scale. Cause when you consider how tall the pyramids are. Yeah. The, the, so the, it's so interesting because uh, something rarely gets talked about is Dr. Joseph Davidovitz, uh, again, father of geopolymers, does a test. Um, I, it, and this was uh, what was interesting to me was that his theory was, well, maybe the Great Pyramid was poured. And what they instead found is that the pyramid had been repaired at mm -hmm. different periods with geopolymer. Now, now the Romans made concrete. There are lots of people who have made concrete, mm -hmm. but the findings of his work, and then it was followed up by a Yale professor and an Egyptologist from Egypt independently, they found geopolymer patching. And I think that speaks to, when I said I do remodeling, something that people don't think about is that not only would a society their preferences change over a hundred years or 300 years. Like what's in, like, I mean, we've, I'm sure there are friends and families out there that have relatives that if they're in their eighties or nineties or, or hundreds, the reality is that uh, yeah, how many families out there with centurions in their family. And mm -hmm. if you do, then you have friends and family that were alive during the Victorian era. And now we have people wearing yoga pants and, you know, doing TikTok videos. The reality is that the methodology, the technology, the things that change that make a building look architecturally significant or not, we have to think about the fact that not in a hundred, not in 200, not in a thousand, even if when you say the word Egyptian, you could just say American and say, how would Americans social uh, ins and outs go over 6,000 years. So how many times over 6,000 years or 4,000 years has 
of the pyramids themselves been adapted or not. And now for anyone who follows Egyptology, a quick short is even the Sphinx was abandoned and it was repaired in, in antiquity. It was repaired. There were pharaohs bragging how they fixed and helped and repaired the Sphinx. So you have to look at dynastic Egyptians as maybe their own archaeologists where they, you know, a smaller group came across what was once a vastly decimated uh, ancient advanced society and constructions and they salvaged and they built. And there's indications of that even at the step pyramid where, you know, some of the vases and the works that were found, I know we talked on that, but mm-hmm. keep it, keep it at high level then for everyone who's joining us. The, the reality is that not take the idea of repair and maintenance and push it all the way back to the Sumerian Kings list and say, well, they said that they had eight Kings that ruled for 256 ish thousand years. And that was pre the rest of their Kings. And so if there's a sliver of truth there and there's a sliver of truth in the ancient Egyptian Kings list, uh, then and then if the Hindu Vedas are also true, and if we're finding objects that are billions of years old, the question is, how old is all of it? And then we have to point to different archaeological sites and say, well, what else do we know besides the Klerksdorf spheres? And right. one of the and one of the other things we know about is that city off the coast of Cuba. There is a city, it's about 2,300 feet deep. And from my estimations, it couldn't have been above water less than 50,000 years ago. There, There is a theory of hydrostatic plate shifting where water in the ocean sinks into the tectonic plate system. It, mm-hmm. of course, becomes hydrostatic. And then eventually somehow uh, the theory, this is a theory, is that the way the plates could suddenly shift up and down would be because that... The, the, the hydrostatic, the leaking of the waters of the ocean would cause hydraulic lifting. And then eventually all that steam would get through the plates and then boom, suddenly you have a city off the coast of Cuba that's in, in our dynastic period that somehow sunk. But it, it looks more likely that the city is at least 50 or 60,000 or, or really we're pushing back towards Mount Toba going off. So maybe we really are talking about a global society. Not that you asked me to date it, but sure. we might actually be talking pre-Mount Toba. So this is the worst disaster that we know of in our most, in quotes, recent times. And that was 75,000 years ago, plus or minus a grand. Mm-hmm. And, and then we have what may be the Younger Dryas or the biblical flood, the, the disaster of 12 and a half thousand years ago, mm-hmm. might really be just like the final thawing of the nuclear winters and the, all the chaos that was caused by Mount Toba going off 60 3,000 years before that, that really may be the last melting of all the disasters, period, which really brings us to, you know, our Christmas season. And, right. and hey, well, look, at there's my book again. I like that. But hey, that book, my site, just for everyone who's listening uh, right now, because I am planning expeditions and I'm under some contract negotiation for uh my publication right now it's you can get you can start reading the audio i have an inclusive read for the audiobook i'm putting out another chapter here next week but uh the book itself like i said there'll be a new edition in a couple uh, in the next few weeks and for now uh be happy to join me at not aliens for some exclusive content and a lot of hours of video and a lot of cool exclusive photos including egypt that's all on my website cool 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 um 
it's kind of hard, you know, for people to uh, to wrap their head about or around what you're saying because I mean, for years, everybody has had like like you say for years, everybody has explained it with aliens. I know. You know how can how can the ancient men you know have this type of you know have that ability to create that kind of technology? It's you know, and it's so it's so it. Uh, there were many times where I was doing research where it made me sick because. Uh-huh. The idea that we're really living in a period of cataclysm, that we really are for all the disaster movies we we wish on ourselves in fantasy movies. The truth is, is that we are literally living remnants of uh, like for genetically speaking, it's been a little more pub- in the public eye that the mainstream academia is conservative with all their numbers. Right. They always dial it back. Nobody wants to be wrong. Uh-huh. But genetically, we know that this is okay. So standard academia says approximately 50,000 years ago. So what I really think is kind of closer to post younger draft or post Mount Toba going off, but at least 50,000 years ago, this also happens to coincide with the pyramid off the coast of Cuba, the whole pyramid city. But it's, by the way, it's not the only thing underwater that represents ancient megalithic construction that's probably never been touched by intermediate peoples to mutate it or adapt it. But Denisovan, Neanderthal, and humans all bred together, they're saying 50,000 years ago. But it would make a lot more sense if you would include the supervolcano Toba going off mm-hmm. and then the people who were left on the surface and I say surface because um, for those that don't know, uh, Eric Von Danigan and Buzz Aldrin are very famous, um, you know, you know, uh, astronaut. They all went to South America because throughout South America, also in Egypt, uh, and actually there's a unique thing about Egypt I'll mention in a minute, but there are very, very, very well-cut tunnels in Egypt. And those tunnels are not just carved primitively. They're as advanced and as well done as these megalithic constructions. They appear to be from the same builders. And if you're builders, and if you have either an indefinite lifespan, uh, mm-hmm. which we can speculate on based on legends and myths within stories, but also on the technology that they're using, I think that their medical technology, their other technology, we have indications in Sumerian math texts, uh, there, there's a lot of indicators of things that have survived, like out of place, out of time objects that point towards the level of technology that we're kind of touching on. But these underground tunnel systems seem to relate to a system and a network for a group of people that very much understood they had to survive. And in order for them to survive under these cataclysmic events, that sometimes they would have to be underground. However, whoever was above ground, and I would say post Mount Toba, sure. those Denisovan, those Neanderthal, those humans, they survived together. And maybe even some of the survivors in reference to us were more advanced. Also, maybe mm-hmm. we just got caught not getting down underground or we chose not to. And then we also genetically have the Paracas, these mm-hmm. elongated skulled humans that you know we've talked about that, again, they're all right. over the earth. So are the Paracas the first example of super advanced uh, peoples that were like, look, we burn the earth, everything sucks. We're going to go live on a beach in Peru and make textiles and get high. Are they the first alien hippies? 
Like, are they the first human hippies where they were like, our advanced past just blew it. We're just going to go get high and make textiles. They were known for textiles, yet at the same time, genetically, their skull and their cranial system was larger than ours, but they are human. Mm -hmm. But the irony is, is that despite all the collegiate people out there and are available, feel free for six degrees of separation to ask any of your friends that are into any kind of paleoanthropology, why there's not a complete genetic genome check of the Paracas of Peru, because there isn't one, because it doesn't fit the timeline. So you can do two things without uh, where there's absence of knowledge, where you want to like build up a story. We don't need that. We just need to build the facts. And then what's irritating is there's some low hanging fruit here for us to resolve some of these issues. And if it comes down to doing genetic sedimentary testing, sure. Mm -hmm. But we got these giant elongated skulls sitting around and they look naturally born and they have suture lines in their head that are different. And yet there's all these multi-billion dollar asset universities and no one's doing the genetic testing. So we could start pulling together and, and putting weaving a really complex tapestry back together of the search and rescue because it is a search and rescue. This these mm -hmm. Those technologies represent medical advances and what appears to be what we think of as superhuman abilities now might be our day-to-day -day life 100,000 years ago or 80,000 or 50,000. And in the periods that you have in the Bible and other religious texts that show that Jared is the second oldest name in the Bible, Methuselah, then Jared. Jared lived to be like 997 years. So you're talking about, and the Kings list, the Sumerian Kings list, yeah, when, pe when people are so old, you think of them as gods, but maybe everybody lived 32,000 years or indefinitely. Maybe it wasn't just an elite class, but we have these filters and those filters are the stories we know of and they sound really old because 6,000 years or 4,000 years sounds mm -hmm. really old. And then, you know, we rely and filter all of our observations. And when we've only had Hollywood around, a very short amount of time to give us the right. flying saucer. We, we come full circle and we're like, clearly we couldn't have done it. Well, yeah, if you're really lazy and you don't want to add two plus two, then <laughs> it must be aliens that gave you five. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. So you're going to be going on some expeditions, right? That's what you said. Yeah. So I got back from, so I did uh, the grand Canyon, which we were able to talk about. I went looking right. for the GE Kincaid cave, uh, the GE Kincaid cave is not where it's supposed to be. There's some further work that Rex from Leak Project and I are doing on that. Uh, is it possible that the cave entrance was collapsed? We're down to discussing things like that because exactly where it's supposed to be, we looked for it. It's not there. And we were able to photograph it extensively. It's just not there. But then to figure out these large complex questions of, so there, so there's an ancient advanced society that's terraforming the planet for clearly not just to grow really rich in vitamin rich food, mm -hmm. but, but they're filtering heavy metals. Everyone's talking about global warming. And yet there's literally hundreds of millions of acres. There's a lot. Okay. For those of you being specific, uh, just in Brazil, to give you an idea, it's, they estimate that in Brazil, Terra Preta, the ancient engineered soil, that there's an area. This is just what they're winging it. Okay, this is, by the way, standard academia. So again, they underestimate. Currently says that just in Brazil, there's an area twice the size of Spain. 
of Terra Preta. Twice, two Spains of Terra Preta. That's an engineered soil up, wow. to, up to 20 feet thick. That means they've been doing it for a while. It self-replicates. It has a lot of co-properties, cool but it's also in South Africa. It's also in North Africa. It's also in North, Central and South America. And it's there's versions of it, biochars all over the planet. So, okay. Uh, clearly, there was a much larger population managing the atmosphere. I would think that means that they had a higher carbon footprint because I think there was even more people on the planet that are, than we're here now. Because again, if you took everyone on the planet and gave them an acre, they'd be in about two Texases. That's it. Mm -hmm. 8 billion people fit in about two States of Texas with an acre each, get your head around that. And you realize that we don't have a problem with population. We have a problem with being awake, being conscious, being collectively thoughtful for each other. And you know, so, so there's, well, we could digress anywhere now, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's mind boggling. That yeah. is, tr that's truly mind boggling. So this is Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where's Mr. It, Beast when you need him? It amazes me that you have done all this research. Ah, thanks. And, and figured this stuff out. I mean, th th this is just incredible. Um, you know, every time she says stuff like this, I send this through the internet. That's it. No, I just, no, I appreciate it. There's the address down at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. She's got Patreon. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the, the, the hard thing is, is that there, there is dialogue about what's going on, but then there's not, um, you know, you have to get out in the field. So I, I was really fortunate to be able to go to South Africa I really appreciate that I was able to get there before all this stuff started right before my original book was published. Mm -hmm. But, but now getting on shows like yours and hosting the work I do on, I, I do shows also for not aliens and I co-host on everything imaginable and dark hour paranormal. And I do something with cosmic salon. And so there, there are other venues where collectively, particularly for you people listening and watching and hearing this later is that we all have genetic memory. So we all mm -hmm. are part of a safe moded computer we call earth. We are all collectively experiencing something uh, independently, but we all have recall. So when you have a hunch and it doesn't matter that I know some people might be familiar with the term modality. So if you're out there mm -hmm. and you're like, well, I was raised Catholic and I believe in spirits and I believe in this, or I believe in, angels and demons, or I believe in fairies, or, you know, uh, I believe in the paranormal, I, whatever it is, the modality that you're banging on this giant blinky board and you're getting a response, you have to, I would just throw out there that don't not follow your belief, but hold on to what it is you think you're seeing and write it down. And also your experiences because they're not invalid. It's there isn't, there cannot be, there's no, there's no fight club for Buddha and Jesus and Ganesh mm -hmm. and fill in the blank demon spirit, whatever fairy. And there, there are just simply, uh, we have, we are one unified planet. We are one unified system of humanity that is operating on this broken motherboard that we were all a part of. So the reality is that the, the labels we're putting on banging on the blinky board, the high technology that is us and this planet, we, we might have that 
label for how we're experiencing it, I would say from listening to us talk now and in the future as you do your own research, be open to the idea that this system is really incredible, really connected. It might not actually be the words you're using to label, excuse right. me, to label that experience, but we are all connected. And also for those that, you know, when we go down the consciousness side of this is that, and, 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 and you and I have talked a lot mm -hmm. on this, but I feel like there must be a lot of new people listening. Are we talking? Are we listening? Are, is there a lot of new people listening? Yes. Yeah. We got a bunch of new people. All right. So we, we'll, we'll, we'll slow this down for you guys. But one of the areas we talked about also, we talk about is uh, not only collective human consciousness, but mm -hmm. our individual consciousness and our experience of it. And one of the things I like to point out is the reason I'd like to talk about the 8 billion people is that if you just get out and start looking for ancient engineered soils, they are way more expansive than Gobekli Tepe and then just Gobekli Tepe. Uh -huh. And so what that means is, is that I don't think that there wasn't just more people on earth. And not only can we support and sustain that, I believe for those out there who dangerously think that there are human lives that I know this sounds like, now here, here's some woo-woo. All human life is valuable, but a lot of people would say, well, it's because, well, all human life is valuable. No, yeah, statistically in the universe, for any of us to exist, it's like zero, right? It's it's very unique that any of us are alive. But the system that we're living in requires human RAM, spiritual, mental, uh, beyond your physical body's RAM. So there is a dangerous group out there, I think. Well, I won't even call them dangerous. I just think that they're operating at the same 10 to 15% consciousness we are. And what's mm -hmm. happening is, is they're going, hey, uh, well, we only need 250 million people on the planet or we, we need less people. And the reality is that we have all the food in the world to feed everyone. We clearly have an ancient indicator that a larger society existed. So it's not the quantity of people, but I do believe in the spirit of reactivating the other 80 or 85% of our human consciousness to be awake in it, not asleep in it, not subconscious, but conscious is because that collective Ram lends to each of our individual passions and our individual abilities. So when we devalue someone who's on the savanna of fill in the blank jungle, Africa, wherever, or South America, and we think, well, they're just simple tribes and they don't contribute the reality is that their very existence, they're part of the collective human consciousness. And I want to make this really clear to people that even if there are people you don't like uh, individually, their presence on this planet is contributing to an acceleration and a quickening of consciousness. And I do believe there's a tipping point, whether we're not all of us are willfully going after that. I mean, there are plenty uh -huh. of people who would be happy to party themselves under the ground, right? Uh -huh. So, but I do want to bring it to people's attention that the collective human consciousness, I think, is much more in play than we give credit to that, that the idea of reducing the human population is not the right direction to get the cures to the diseases we want to get to a life that may be uh, much longer than we think it is now. Uh -huh. uh, and we've talked all about this in depth, but I, I don't know, I feel like we're on this role of giving this like quick capstone to everything.
Yeah, yeah. I had a question for you too. Do you think in the future, because you know, with technology being what it is and, and gene technology being what it is, that they'll be able to look at some of these ancient mummies and, 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 and these ancient bodies that they're finding and, and get into, into the genes and see just just what made these guys tick? Yeah, I think so. Some of the MRIs and the scans that they're doing now, they're getting us okay. there. Um, there was a cave and I know we chatted on it, but to remind everyone out there, the sedimentary testing is literally taking the dust off the ground, mm -hmm. uh, around a body. And they're literally taking that little of a bit of a DNA sequence. And, uh, in this one cave where they found, uh, Denise even, they found, they picked up samples and they found 150 animal species. They found uh, plants, flora, fauna. They they had so many samples of other entities that were within the space of where before it's like you needed a giant bone or you needed you know you needed a a good piece. And now they're doing it off of dust. So the reality is that whether it's a full mummy, I mean mm -hmm. they're already un they're already uncomfortable with finding what appears to be South American tobacco, cocaine, fill in the blank from continents that aren't supposed to connect yet. Oops, you guys have Terra Preta. What are you going to do with the same soil sure. in North Africa? And again, what we see as a desert, even in dynastic times, as in the Egyptians, most of North Africa was gorgeous and green and yeah. It, it wasn't a desert that that happened fairly recently. And then we have so many lands. Now there's something else is that not only are we going to, so this DNA testing of, of, of sedimentary granular bits, they're doing it already for Doggerland. Okay. And Doggerland is all the way to Scotland, all the way to France mm -hmm. and basically the Baltic sea and the area between Sweden and Finland and, and, and North Europe, that was a lake. And for the most part, Doggerland existed even until a few thousand years ago and 12,000, 15,000 years ago. It was a significant amount of landmass, but it slowly sunk underwater. Uh -huh. that, that land was all occupied by humanity and by things that even now, so this is the mind-blowing part, they're actually getting samples out of the, okay, under salt water. In the, in, they're they're actually pulling out and fairly confident that they're identifying the flora and fauna of Doggerland that was at least eight thousand years ago for the area that they're pulling up the sedimentary remains. So, despite currents in the ocean, uh -huh. despite salt water, they're they're digging into the sands and core sampling and pulling out. Uh, remnants from under salt water of the English, uh, you know, French channel. Mm -hmm. and, and they're identifying plants and, and, and species of things that were living maybe eight or 10 or 15 or 18,000 plus years ago. So not only are they doing it on land here now, but they're doing it under salt water and they're doing it with granular elements. So whether it's a mummy, we are going to very quickly see i think the classic move right now is to keep hiding the truth of our history mm -hmm. and i don't know how researchers are going to be able to keep that facade up when you have sedimentary remnants and with quantum computing coming where you're going to be like well it looks like there's an elongated skulled person that we didn't even know 
we didn't even know this area that we're claiming was nomadic it was a well settled uh maybe 10 story building area you know you know it was occupied 30,000 years ago it was occupied 40,000 years ago it was occupied 80,000 years ago and we have examples like that just here in america uh, okay. i was when you talked about expeditions up and coming if you guys want to see me live lecture i did not intend to announce this here however I will be on the East Coast in New Jersey at the end of January, and I will be doing a live lecture. And so I'll, I'll chat there about it. But I was going to be going, uh, w- one of the trips is going to be South American for a big expedition that I've been planning for every year. But I am and was still going. I was going to do it two weeks ago, but there is a site called the Galt site. It's north of Austin, Texas. And this is an area where it has the most and highest concentration of what they call Clovis. And Clovis is made up. They made it up. It's just a Uh term for a group of uh, people that were living here that they thought were the earliest Americans. Well, the interesting thing about the Galt site north of Texas is that they made the mistake. They, (laughs) some of the archaeologists got it in them to dig below Clovis. And then there was an abandoned layer. And then they went further and they found a floor of a structure. And mind you, they only dug up the one spot for it. But this floor is at least the minimum date on the floor is 18,000 years. That floor is not supposed to be there. No. But it's one example of one of the places I'm going to hit before I head back to probably America's uh, Stonehenge for this uh, uh, lecture that I'm going to do. Uh, which I will get all the info on my site here next week. But for now, uh, and and the South American trip is not open for visitors. I'll be doing some serious field work and just, uh, you know, that that's going to be a really big, exciting one. And I'll be looking forward to telling everyone about it. But as far as uh, uncovering our past, because of the frequency, the energy, the technology work, the, our genetic signatures, our, our collective consciousness research, I mean, the work we're doing now in quantum mechanics and uh, just even all the way down to vibrational medicine and healing, all of it seems connected. And the more we do this research, I think the more we're going to be able to push other researchers into conclusions that are going to help us be healthier, be cleaner. Mm-hmm be back connected with the planet, not in a woo-woo way, but literally connected back to the planet in a way that we had once uh, tweaked it to a point where we had, I think, uh, an actual conscious connection. That is not low level. I, I really need to like, you got to crank me back up to like Dunkin' Donuts or something here. You got like... <laughs> it, New listeners, new listeners, tell ask me something else. I, My question in all this too is that you know when you go back, and I remember as a kid going to school yeah. and reading encyclopedias or reading books about going to the moon and how backward at that point, even even in the early even in the seventies, okay, yeah. you know you were still getting these things that said, well, someday man's going to go to the moon, blah 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 blah. Now when you talk about the history that's being dug up now by guys like you, you know, doing the research. Is it a case of uh, the people not believing you guys, or is it a case of the scientists not wanting to bend from what they've already discovered or thought they discovered? You know, it's so much like high school (laughs) there. It's so much like high school. Um, You have what's acceptable. You have what's 
popular. Um, you have people who like, look, I have a friend who has a friend that, that way it'll be very clear from outing anyone, but they've been teaching something one way for years and they don't want to stop teaching it. And literally they were asked literally what you've been teaching for the, and by the way, many, many, many years, I'll say mm -hmm. that, but they've literally, they literally represent what's bad in academia. They've been teaching the same thing for so long. They're like, they joked on one hand that, well, we'd have to change the textbooks. They literally mm -hmm. joked about it. They acknowledged it. But two, it was, well, that means, so it's, it's even, th it's this silly. It, it seems silly, but I guess if you've been doing like something like gymnastics and you'd been doing handstands the same way for years and you find out the way you've been doing it is wrong. Right. And even if there's a better way, would you switch? Some people would, but some people are arrogant and some people are, or insecure and they don't want to be humiliated. And it sadly comes to some very base. I think those are very primitive emotions mm -hmm. because if like all you could do is n table what you know, and we're all going to be wrong. I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to, I'm not looking to prove my theories, right? I'm looking to, here's all the potential layers of what I might find. I have to be open to what I find. And there are people out there that are just not open. They're just like, Hey, look, um, I just don't want to be wrong. They literally have said it. And, right. And, and that's terrifying. It's that simple. I, I, I always thought that our history, like ancient Rome, uh, ancient Greece, I always thought that that was the most amazing thing that we had all those records. And the first time I had done real research and found that those are records of records of records and that these are uh, primarily Gregorian monks that we don't have original documentation from Plato mm -hmm. or Solon the Greek. We don't have that. It wasn't meticulously, it was meticulously interpreted by various scholars throughout a couple thousand years, uh, changing the original literature. We don't have the original documentation. We keep finding stuff like the Dead Sea Scrolls. We find things that we can back up other stories with. We have Sumerian texts. Mind you, we don't even have them all translated. And the ones we are actually translating, they're Syrian. They're not even, they're not even Sumerian. They're from a, uh, I, Jen Dale, my archeologist and friend, uh, who we're working on our next few books with together, we do a whole episode about this that's on my YouTube channel on not aliens and on notaliens.com. But we talk all about the Sumerian texts and tablets and where they originate. And that's something worth everyone looking into because it, it really says how little, how far we've gotten with what mm -hmm. we even could look at. There's open databases. You can go help translate Syrian tablets. And mind you, it might not be the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is also mm -hmm. in the Bible, which is a little odd. Uh, but Gilgamesh uh, was great to find, but you might translate a tablet and spend days on it. And you might spend, after all your hundreds of hours of work, might translate a inventory list between a sale of two farmers or something. But cool. But, right. you know, we have a lot of history that we want to, of course, expose and know but I do think that there's a lot of people out there that, well, here's the other thing, you know, it, it, this is a hard business. It's a, the, there's some freak economics of it to be gentle and kind to all of us is to say that, Hey, we need money to do this. Right. And there are some people who have made a lifestyle out of, uh, you know, they've thought of something 
and they've stuck with that one thing and they're not doing new work. They're kind of regurgitating what they found and they're a great entertaining speaker. And I think that there's, uh, we are really on the, on the tip uh, of the start of the momentum and excitement. I mean, you only have to look at history channel shows like Scott Walters, America on earth right. uh, to really get excited about history. And I think, again, it's the craziest subject because even the energies uh, new, new research by like the journalist who came up with the power of eight, you mm -hmm. have the power of eight, which is, you know, there's weird things that, very pragmatic people who wanted nothing to do with remote viewing, like Gary from uh, everything imaginable, you know, we're really rediscovering that humanity isn't what we see it as that, that collective uh, intent and concentration of thought and remote viewing. And again, the superpowers like controlling your immune system there, there are a number of things that are possible in groups and individuals that are showing to have to do with our archaeogenetics and our archaeoacoustics and uh, basically archaeology as we've known it with more disciplines involved now including structural engineers engineers building material sciences are showing that we're way more mysterious badass and interesting and the mm -hmm. people listening i think have hunches on that and they're the the full circle now is I think that researchers who have found one or two things that haven't gone out and done anything too new in a while, they should be willing to go out and do something new. And I think, uh, like I like to rock climb, but you know, there's a lot of rock climbers out there. They're doing some incredible, amazing rock climbs. They're incredible rock climbers, way better than me, but, and they've made movies about some of them and they've, mm -hmm. they've, they've done great personal challenges, but do you know that, you know, and I talked about this with you when I got back from the Grand Canyon, one of the things that blew my mind is that the Grand Canyon has 270 miles of caves, about 122 uh, miles have been explored, not even fully, but 150 plus miles of the Grand Canyon, which is over 18 miles wide, 6,000 feet deep at many points. Uh, none of the caves and the, and, the, and the lead investigator, the lead professor who investigates and had managed caves in Carlsbad said mm -hmm. that there's more caves in the Grand Canyon. So for those of you out there that are bored or uh, looking for an adrenaline high or are looking for a challenge, you don't need to go to Antarctica to do that. You don't need to go try to find the pyramids that are frozen under the Arctic ice cap. You literally need to know that of the 120 miles that were explored of potential caves in the Grand Canyon, to give you an idea, one of the caves that they found has over 40 miles in it, one, one of the caves that they found. And I highly doubt that that's all been figured and sorted out. But if you're an adventurer, if you have a hunch, if you have a genetic memory, if you have weird memories, I think getting involved in not only intentional programs and meditations, but I think remote viewing is a very interesting subject. The government uses it, at least since the 50s, from at least what they've told us. But the reality is that there are many ways to refine uh, your individual passion for looking into this. One of it is to support shows like yours, uh, mm. supporting mine and having these open dialogues. And I do think that just listening and having it in your thoughts just every now and then, I do think gets it out there in the ether. So for as little as that sounds, that's not a minimum. I do think that all those things help. But I also think that people who are out for adventure shouldn't be randomly wasting their skill sets on just 
you know, climbing El Capitan again, I think they should right. be throwing some of their, this is a call to adventure. It's saying, look, you know, there's 150 miles of unexplored land laying at your feet in Arizona, just for one. Let's go. Let's get the approvals. Let's get the permits. Let's find out why we can't. Let's find out what we can do. And let's start mapping and getting just, and mind you, that's like the first sentence. Every one of those caves is filled with tens of thousands of years of anthropological history, whether it's in sedimentary, uh, mummified remains, guano, uh, skeletons, the stick people. There's a mysterious culture from at least 3,000 years ago. We don't even know who they were. And they, they kept leaving little stick figures all around the Grand Canyon. But mm -hmm. I'm, throwing th I'm throwing that out there as an example just because uh, that's some real badass research. That's some Indiana Jones stuff. And there are a lot of other places we're losing some of our histories. The Anasazi uh, being in Tuba City. I mean, if you want to go someplace cool, go to the Navajo Nation, go to Tuba City, go literally stand on acres and acres of dinosaur bones and poop. I mean, it's crazy to literally walk next to a pteranodon or a pterodactyl that landed, hopped four times because so, it was coming in for a landing uh -huh. and, and see the matching the, the claw prints and you can walk right there and it's free. And then up in the mountains around you are Anasazi. Uh, I mean, pre Navajo there's Anasazi. There are great guides there. There is just so many places you can go off the beaten track. Just if you're going to go and tour. And I think those are important things to do for people listening because it triggers your own memories and you might not, do it full time, but you just emailing me or emailing this show and talking mm -hmm. about something you found. I think I th there's it's just really exciting. I'll calm down now. I'll take a breath. Jared, I want to thank you for coming on. It's always fun. It's always fun to talk to you and learn more. Uh, yeah. It, well, it's the season, right? We're um, yeah, that's it. Uh, the uh, the what's your next topic for the day? <laughs> what, what are you guys doing next? Oh, I'm not getting into that. No, we we have a gal that's coming on tomorrow who. Uh, I don't want to make fun of anybody because she's a guest. No, but, no, don't uh, do that. <laughs> her name is Jerry Car Judy Carroll, and she's a UFO emissary. She says she's been abducted since she was a kid, 60 years, and that she's been aboard the ships, and, and she's here to spread the message about what we're doing to the Earth and whatnot. Cool. Well, uh, <laughs> so that's great. And you're, uh, you're, uh, are you, are we done for the night? Should we? We are there, done. We're is done. There any is there any questions out there that we should answer before we go or did, did we nail it? We nailed it. We're oh, good. Great. I'm glad. Thank you so much for coming on as always. Yeah. Hey, it was good to see you. I'm glad we got this in before the end of the new year. Yes, this is great. I can't wait. To, I can't wait to see what you have coming up. Yeah. Should I wait in the green room or are you kicking me off now? I'm kicking you off now. I got a, I got a meeting I got to go to after this. So. All right, cool. Okay. I will be in touch this week to talk to you though. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Thanks, we'll touch base. Okay, thanks, Jared. Talk to you later. Have a good one. Okay, bye. All right, that's our good friend, Jared Murphy. Let me get straightened out here. And I want to thank everybody for coming tonight. i got a meeting to get to right after the show, so I'm going to bugger off here. But uh, again, I'm glad we got the tease in Judy Carroll. She'll be on tomorrow at 6.30 p.m., our usual time. If you like the show, share it with five of your friends. If you hated the show, share it with them, too. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, if you like the show and you're watching it on YouTube, click on that subscribe button because, you know, even though our subscribers are going up, we're still looking for more subscribers. More, 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 more. Um, 
I'm going to go ahead and run Jared's book and his website uh, before the show ends so you can see you know where to go for that. And check out his site. He's got a really cool website. Uh, that ticker at the bottom means that California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team is a... Um, Sorry, it is a nonprofit organization. So all this good stuff, mics, everything, show, equipment comes out of my pocket. So if you could find it in your heart to help me out with that, I would really appreciate it. Uh, that would be paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you have issues with PayPal, we also have a Venmo, so it's a lot easier. Just sign into Venmo and type in California Haunts, and you can do it from there. But I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. And again, we will be back here with Judy Carroll tomorrow, and she'll be live from Australia to talk to us about her experiences with uh, the, the gray aliens. Okay? I will see you tomorrow.